You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. There seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I the Lord your God am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. Equipping the Saints, we are delving into those topics and those parts of God's Word that examine uh, things that we don't always talk about as much as we could or should. Basically, what does the Christian life look like? We know that we are forgiven by grace through faith on account of the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His blood covers over all of our sins. Our names are written in the book of life. But uh, does God have anything to say about how a Christian should live in between, in between the time that Jesus has ascended into heaven and the time when he promises to come back and take us to be with him in heaven? Well, of course he does. And one of the books that uh, talks about this Christian life, uh, the sanctified life, if you will, is the book of James. Sometimes people are a little bit nervous or afraid of the book of James. We've been working our way now for the last 10 episodes or so, verse by verse, uh, through James, and we are nearing the end of James chapter 2. In our previous episode, we uh, spent most of our time talking about the uh, sticky wicket verse, James 2, verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We have uh, lots and lots and lots of um, great things that God has said to put this verse in context. Um, Good works do not save us. Good works are evidence that faith is real and alive and truly does exist. No contradiction between this section of James chapter 2 and other parts of Scripture. Don't want to... beat a dead horse, but we want to make very, very clear that um, these words from James, especially in context of everything that's been written in uh, James chapter 1 and the first half of James 2, is completely in agreement with other parts of God's word. Uh, Before we dig in with verse 18, Pastor, uh, any other follow-up comments to our uh, last episode? No, I'm ready to hop in. We have a lot to cover. Yes, we do have a lot to cover. (laughs) Vicar, we we did this last week as well. We want to make sure that we have all of these verses in context. Most English translations have verses 14 through 26, 
bracketed as a uh, special unit or whatever. These uh, English translation subtitles are nothing more than suggestions. Uh, We're not bound by them in any way. But uh, if you would read 14 through the end of James 2, uh, we would all be very happy. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay, there you have it. That was James 2, 14 to 26. Uh, A... uh, section that is uh, oftentimes avoided um it is uh, it is more than a sticky wicket at first at uh, first glance it seems contrary to much of scripture especially paul in uh, galatians 3 and 4 and we've uh, we've talked about that uh, james does not back down in any way shape or form from his uh, comment in verse 17 So, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Rather, he doubles down. Pastor, why is James emphasizing this point so much that we have a third, almost a half, of chapter 2 devoted to this topic? Well, I think um, the, the reason he's spending so much time on this topic is because it is an issue in the congregation where he is serving. And even uh, the next part there uh, where he has the um, argument that he's putting forward, someone will say it's uh, you know even a form of uh, making a argument that he's hearing in his congregation. And so he is dealing with the issue directly. He is um, applying God's word to it. And the issue is one that we still have in the church today, that people, we're going to see this in verse 18, they want to separate these two things uh, from one another as if they aren't united together in true Christian faith. And James isn't going to allow that to happen. And that's the reason that he's doubling down. He's going to Uh, address every uh, side of the issue so that there's nothing left but what is actually the truth of God's word. Amen. Well said. Uh, So verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And that's the quote. And then James says again, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my, my faith by my works. 
Do you think, Pastor, based on uh, what you said here, that uh, he's probably hearing this from folks, do you think that this is Pastor James speaking and and uh, communicating here in kind of a dialectical way, but he's using a basic comment or excuse that he's hearing as a pastor, either from his own members or from those outside of his congregation. Do you think that's kind of what's going on here? Yeah, I think it's exactly uh, the dialectical method that you're talking about, the argument um, that he has heard or expects that he will hear because he knows his people well enough to know what some of the responses will be. And it's not from all of his members, right? Um, but uh, perhaps some of them are going to say this, and so he wants to cut the argument off at the knees uh, before it has a chance to stand on its own two feet. And uh so it, it is how you make a good argument, right? It's, uh, it's how, um, I think it's Aristotle in his uh, work on rhetoric uh, talks about how you prepare a speech or uh, uh, make an argument. He's, he's thinking about how the responses will go, and he is cutting them off uh, before they have a chance to be said. But you will say, I saw the spring game for the Nebraska Cornhuskers this year, and they looked even worse at the spring game than they did in their magnificent four-win season last year. And so I don't see any hope for the year. And I say, you can't always trust your eyes. There's more going on behind the scenes. We have a new coach. We, have, we, we do this kind of thing all the time. This is a natural way for people to talk, for people to debate. Um, it, it, is, it is a good and healthy way to converse if you're being honest and, and having both sides of the situation being out there. It's, it's even more of a way of making an argument in the ancient world. I mean, one of their big uh, methods of teaching things in the ancient world, you see this a lot in like Plato, for example, is to actually create a fake conversation between two people uh, who are on different sides of the argument. And uh, that's the kind of thing that, um, that James is doing here as well with this particular thing, not to the extent of Plato, but uh, the same idea is what's taking place. And I believe in the uh, Reformation days, there were um, theological disputes that were handled in this way as well, um, in this dialectical in this dialectical way. So you would come up with several points, and then you would debate these points back and forth, and uh, you know, we don't know how to do that today. No, it's not taught any longer, which is too bad because uh, it is an effective way of making a argument. Yeah, we'll put some passive-aggressive statement on Twitter, or we'll create a cute little meme uh, or meme. I don't know. I'm a boomer. I don't know how to say that word. And uh, we'll, we'll call that good. And we, we don't know how to have these kind of theological conversations based on God's Word. We don't know how to have a real conversation, let alone make up a uh, fake dialogue <laughs> to uh, discuss an issue. You, you know what I mean? I do. I, I hate to say it, but it's true. Yeah, it's, just it's shout at people, right? Yeah. That's what we say. That's see. right. All caps. You just yeah. write in all caps, and then you're done. Vicar, before we get to our break, um, verse 18 says, you have faith and I have works. Why is it a dangerous thing, uh, 
speaking theologically here, speaking of the Christian faith, why is it a, di- a dangerous thing to separate faith and works? Well, our Lord teaches that you know a good tree bears good fruit. So you really can't separate good works from faith because good works flow from faith. It's a natural response. The Holy Spirit indwelling in the Christian gives the Christian a new heart and gives the Christian a new desire to do the will of God, which is then shown by works of righteousness and good works. You can't really separate the two. If you do, then you have what James is talking about, a dead faith. Pastor, is it legitimate to say that when we're talking about conversion, we must separate faith and works? And when it comes to living the Christian life, we dare not separate faith and works? Is that a fair way to look at it, or am I oversimplifying? I, I think you're... I think you're fine in saying it that way so long as we come back and explain it. We need to come back and explain it, and we don't want to pit justification against sanctification. They are both gifts from God. They just need to be properly understood in their right and correct relationship to each other. And that's where we're going to go with the rest of our discussion in James chapter 2. This is episode 55 of Equipping the Saints. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. This is episode 55. We've uh, spent the last 10 or more episodes on uh, the epistle of James. I encourage you to check those out if you're interested. You can uh, follow Follow us on our uh, podcast channel, KNNA Theological Programming. That's KNNA Theological Programming. We've got hundreds and hundreds of programs that are listed. You can scroll down for all of those, and especially the last 10 episodes of Equipping the Saints, working through the Epistle of James. We are nearing the end of James chapter 2. James is doubling down with his uh, insistence, verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In our last segment, we looked at verse 18 and um, the fallacy with regard to the Christian life of pitting faith against works, pitting faith against works. So now in verse 19, um, James is writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Pastor, this verse almost seems to come out of the blue. What is James teaching by this 
simple statement that, um, you know, even the demons, seems to me that he is saying, get bits and pieces correct about God. Even the demons do that. So just because you get a little bit right, um, don't feel too confident or too cocky. Am I am I reading that right, or is there something else going on here? I think that's a part of it, yeah. Uh, I think it's the idea that just because you hold particular theological tenets, that that doesn't actually mean that you have faith, right? That faith... Um, faith is active within us, that faith does things in us. And so merely having the head knowledge, maybe that's the way to say it, isn't, uh, isn't mere faith. And so um, you could have the greatest understanding of Christian theology possible and still not be a Christian by faith. And so you have to have more than just that head knowledge. Uh, I don't know if that trying to think of other ways to say it, but I'm, I'm really struggling. That might well, be the best way. The, the reference that he makes there. It goes back to Deuteronomy 6.4. Yes, it's the great Shema. And uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, the, the, the great, can we say, creedal statement? I would say it's creedal, and he's quoting it uh, from the Septuagint as well. Um, he's got the same words that are listed there in Deuteronomy 6.4 in the Septuagint. Okay, so, so could we say simply mouthing the words of the creed is not saving faith? Even the demons can do that. Right, or, and they do. That's the crazy thing, right? Um, the demons know who God is. They know who Jesus is. We see that in the Gospels, right? Uh, when they come across Christ, they say, what do you want to do with me? Because <laughs> they know who God is. Um, and so it's not just this head knowledge of these facts that is enough. You have to there, there's more that goes with it than just that. And, you know, earlier in James chapter 1, he talks about uh, Christians, so-called Christians, who, who look into the mirror and then immediately forget what they look like. I think we've got a connection here between people who make a confession of faith uh, verbally, head knowledge, whatever, and then don't follow up with that their actions or their works don't match their words i think we've got a lot of this uh, connectedness going on here as well think of uh you know it makes me think of garrison keeler right he talks about all the lutherans back in lake wobegon uh and uh, you know they go to church and they just say these things but they don't actually think about them they don't care about what they mean uh they just uh, say the things how many people in the pews of our own congregations even today um in 2023 across the lutheran church missouri synod say the creed without thinking about what it means or pray the lord's prayer just because they've said it ten thousand times before and it just rolls off the tongue without having any concern about what it means or believing or meaning the words that they're saying or um, you know a mighty fortress is our God they sing it because it was uh, the theme song to Davy and Davy and Goliath uh, Davy and Goliath uh, rather than actually considering that God is the fortress that takes all the hits for us you know what I mean there there can be this going through the motions that takes place in faith, and I think that's part of what he's addressing here. Yeah, where faith becomes a sentimental journey uh, rather than a 
true, active, living faith. And that's what James wants because that's what God wants. Vicar, when James says in verse 19, you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. When he compares this kind of surface knowledge, head knowledge, emotional Christianity apart from true faith, when he equates that to the demons, that sounds like some pretty harsh law. Is, is James overstating his case here? Or is James rocking the people to help them realize just how serious this matter is? What's going on here? I think James is dealing with, within the congregation, the idea, well, we have this antinomianism, right, that I think he can be seeing in his church, which is uh, people... If you're going to use that word, and I love it, you're going to have to take just a, a few seconds sure. and give a basic definition. Yeah, so being against the law. So Christians who believe that they come to faith, they believe in Jesus, and now that they are just, they are free to do whatever they like, okay. whether that's sinful or not. The law is gone. The shackles are gone. I'm free to do whatever I want, uh, and I have no other bounds or restrictions like, say, the Ten Commandments. Right, or you know, even obligations to, as his first example in verses 14 through 17, right, a brother who is poorly clothed or lacking in food, you don't help them. That's a problem. That's a sign of dead faith. The Christian would actually help and support his brother in need. Likewise, his second example of dead faith is related to the demons, right? Because they believe in God. They know who Jesus is. But do the demons do good works? No, they're just, they're evil. They, they are without saving faith, which produces good works. So James is drawing... He's drawing a picture for us where you, to say that you have faith separated from good works, to say that you can be a Christian and do whatever you like, is actually just demonic. It's, it's wickedness. And how hard it is to say that in this day and age. It's hard to say this behavior is demonic. And that is exactly what James is saying here. Our, our modern ears are offended by that. Pastors standing up in the pulpit and saying that certain activity is demonic, you rarely hear that today. And we need to do it. Many, uh, well, go ahead. Our, our world needs godly men, pastors. And laymen in the pews to teach their families this as well. We need to say, this activity is good and godly. This activity is bad and demonic. And instead, many congregations and many uh, denominations today have actually embraced the demonic activities and uh, made them a part of their entire belief system, which is terrible. And I want to point out, too, 
What James is saying in this regard is no different than what St. Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6, right? Um, Where he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Uh, Are we to sin because we are not under the law but grace? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness, which is saying the same thing, just in a different way. And uh, I, I want to point that out because it's not that James and Paul are in um, uh, in conflict with one another. They're not. They're saying the same thing. I think it, it's, is it fair to say that James and Paul are combating two different problems, where James is fighting this antinomianism, where you can do whatever you want when you're a Christian, and Paul is combating the idea that, well, you have to do certain works to have saving faith. And, and yeah, but and then the argument behind them is essentially the same in both both respects that as a Christian who believes this is what you do, but you aren't saved by what you do, but if you don't do the things and that tells us you don't believe. And I don't know if yeah, that's and, oversimplification. That's not an oversimplification and I don't think we can say it too much. And for all of the folks who want to pit one part of Scripture against another part of Scripture, you need to repent. You need to repent. There's no other way to say it. Uh, James is combating a different problem. I think you're spot on there, Vicar. And uh, the problem ultimately is the same problem, but you're just coming at it from two different perspectives. And so I think you're... um, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've dropped this particular Bible... uh, on this tiny little shelf here when we record. So I'm sorry about that, folks. It's okay. If you valued God's word more, you'd take better I'm, care of I'm it. I'm going to repent. I'm going <laughs> to repent of that. Okay. Um, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Pastor, you see the time that we have on this uh, particular section. Who is James talking to? When he says, you foolish person. Um, he is talking to the, the hypothetical foil of his argument that he's making, the other side of the dialogue, the person he just quoted who's making the argument against what he's already been saying. And so uh, that person probably is a a person or a group of people within the congregation who have been putting forward these particular teachings. And when we say that, we have to remember that at this point, Jerusalem is the center of the church, right? Uh, All the Christians are coming in and going out from that particular location. And so whether it's a direct member of his congregation or a visitor from to his congregation, there are the people that are saying these things, and he is counteracting that uh, in this particular word. The uh, the term there, foolish person. I don't know if the Greek uh, is this the same kind of fool where we talk about um, from the Old Testament scriptures, Proverbs and Psalms, both says uh, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Or is this the word that is sometimes translated empty, like uh, empty head or empty heart? Is it the empty word? It is empty. Okay, because both of those are translated fool in the New Testament. And if it's empty, and thank you for that quickly, uh, Vicar, but in James 1.18, he talks about uh, being filled with the word of truth. 
And in James one twenty one, I just preached on this not too long ago, uh, James talks about the implanted word in us. So if you are empty, you are foolish because the word is not dwelling and having its way with you. Is that a, is that a fair way to, to look at this verse, Pastor? I think it's an important way to look at this verse, uh, and, and perhaps it's uh, the, the translation isn't clear enough on that because, uh, you know, we hear that word foolish, we think of moron, and it's really not that. It's really saying, you faithless person, if you're empty and not filled with Christ. Amen. Kind of, kind of the same issue with uh, doubting Thomas or faithless Thomas. Uh, how we translate that into English has major implications on how we apply that to our lives. Um, This is Equipping the Saints. We're working our way through James chapter 2. We need to take a short break. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Kirstein. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 for divine service. Wednesday evening, divine service year-round at 630. If you're outside the Lincoln area and uh, would still like to uh, join us, you can do that over over the radio. Uh, if you're outside of the radio uh area. You can listen on the internet. Uh, you can go to KNNALP in your search engine. You can go to thecross957.org, our um, radio website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, our church website, all ways to be able to listen and join us. All of our worship services are broadcast on the radio. Um, we are nearing the end of James chapter 2. And James has emphasized again and again and again, we cannot separate faith and works. If you um, say that you have faith but do not have works, um, it's just, it's hard for me to say it. You have a demon. This is demonic to pit one part of God's word against another. And now, uh, we're going to, you know, James has said, uh, you, you foolish guy, you, you don't know the word of God. You are empty. You do not have the word of truth in you. You do not have the implanted word in you. So I am going to show you from the word of God exactly what I mean. Paul, in, uh, in his epistles, oftentimes refers back to Abraham as kind of the the great man of faith, and I'm going to show you from Abraham's life what I'm talking about. Jesus does the same thing. He does this in his teaching. He does this in his preaching. He does this specifically in John chapter 8 as a part of... uh, uh, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so this is very, very common. Um, It should not surprise us that James does exactly the same thing. 
Uh, Vicar, would you want to read verses 21 through 24? Those verses are the verses that zero in on Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It seems to me that other places in scripture point to Genesis 15, verse 6, that's the uh, verse that's quoted there, as proof that we are saved by grace through faith and not on account of our works. Pastor? Yeah, Romans 4, uh, St. Paul says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, where St. Paul says... um, Let me make sure I find it here correctly. This is verse 6. Just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, uh, Paul quotes this verse many times as well. Okay. So we have Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit seeming to say two very contradictory things. Pastor, what gives? Help us sort this out. Well, let's take the argument then. Let's talk about Abraham. Um, and let's uh, let's say, so Abraham begins his life in Ur of the Chaldees, right, which is uh, towards the mouth of the Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq. And uh, God comes to him and says, Abraham, follow me, leave your people, and uh, go to a land that I will show you. And uh, so that's that's what happens. You with me so far? Absolutely. That's what Scripture says. So imagine this. Abraham says, I do believe in you, God, and then just stays in Ur. Is that faith then? He says Uh, he believes. He's he's communicated. He's talked to God directly, right? So um, since I can't look in his heart, all I can do is look at his outward actions. And if he says he believes, but there is no action that follows he's probably lying or a giant hypocrite, something like that. Right. Um, and uh, But he does. He does leave. He, he does goes leave. up to Haran, and then he goes across down into the promised land, and he lives his entire life there amongst people that he doesn't know, speak a different language, worship a different God. He does all that following uh, the word of the one true God. So obedience flows from faith. Obedience Correct. is evidence that the faith is living and active, or as uh, Lenski would say, Abraham's faith had works. Now, Just that simple. And you could do this with other activities in um, uh, Abraham's life, right? Uh, God says to Abraham, you know, I'm going to give you uh, a child. And I think maybe this is a good example because this shows where Abraham's faith maybe was lacking. Uh, I'm going to give you a child. Abraham looks at himself and says, well, I'm old and my wife is old. We're both decrepit. Uh, I believe you, God. But then he goes and he takes his wife's handmaiden 
and impregnates her instead, thinking, ah, now I've taken it into my own hands. I think this is a good example because this comes at it from the other direction, right? <laughs> uh, like uh, Vicar was saying in the last segment. Now he's tried to take it and do it by his own way and his own means, and instead what he's done is made a big mess of out of everything. Could, or Could we say that Abraham's action... Uh, and again, Sarah was a willing participant, but Abraham's action with Hagar at that time was demonic. I, th I think we'd say it's done outside of faith. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it's pretty serious stuff. Yeah. So then take, take another one, right? Um, God says, uh, your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, I want you to go and to, uh, to sacrifice him. And God says, or Abraham would say, Okay, yeah, whatever you say, God, but then never go to uh, Salem, never go to the hill, never go and gather the wood, uh, never sharpen the knife. Or take Eleazar instead of Isaac. <laughs> yeah, take that, somebody see, else. Yeah, I, I got a better plan. I want to keep Isaac. Uh, I got this other guy. <laughs> so you see in the life of Abraham over and over again how these two things uh, go together. And uh, faith and works together. Now, at the same time, St. Paul is right. Um, the, the works flow out of the faith. So if there is no faith, then he's not saved, right? They, they have, faith is the thing that ultimately saves, but the works are there and flow out of that faith. And that's the same way with all of us, right? We're, we're talking about Christians in our world today. How many say, yeah, I believe, but never actually darken the door of the church? How many say, I believe, but uh, do terrible things outside God's gift of marriage? How many people say, I believe, uh, but uh, steal by not supporting their neighbor in need or hoarding for themselves? How many people say, I believe, uh, but support abortion or whatever? Insert the, the issue that you're talking about. There's all sorts of these problems in our, our society today. How many people stand before the altar of God and say, I really believe God's word, and I would rather die than fall away from the faith in their confirmation vows, and then never or rarely come back to God's house? How many people would uh, gladly write out a check to the relief disaster fund that they see at 2 o'clock in the morning while they're watching an old TV show, but they won't help their neighbor who lives across the street or their own family member who is in dire need of, of particular care. Um, to me, it keeps going back to that, that verse at the end of James chapter 1 about the person who looks into the mirror and then forgets what they look like. This is, this is the illustration, the metaphor, however you, you want to use it, of this kind of hypocritical faith that is no faith. And here, James, I think beautifully, demonstrates from the life of Abraham that he's not saying anything new. He's not saying anything new at all, and he's certainly not saying anything contradictory. He is approaching a very specific problem, and these are Christians who claim to be Christians, but there is zero evidence of faith in their life. Now, we're talk not talking about tiny babies who don't have the opportunity, uh, perhaps, to do the kind of good works that uh, larger children or adults would do. 
We're not talking about people with dementia or people who are in a comatose state who have no physical ability to do good works. We're talking about the vast majority of Christians who could do these kind of things, who could display this faith in their life, but don't. Who could or who would, uh, if the real faith's there? That's the hard thing that James is saying. Let's just let's just be direct and say it that way. If you have true Christian faith, these things automatically are happening. These good works. You might not even realize it yourself, as we see in Matthew's gospel when. Uh, the goat and the sheep are separated, and Christ says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, receive the inheritance. And they say, Wait a second, when did we do these good things? Um, you, you might not even realize it, but it's happening if you have Christian faith. We have we have the great quote of Luther, and I believe it's in the uh, small called articles. It's in the Lutheran Confessions. Off the top of my head, I believe it's in the small called articles, um, where, where Luther says... Um, you, you don't wake up in the morning and say, what good work should I do today? Rather, before you could even think of asking that question, you're already doing it. That is how a living, active faith happens. And how is a faith that is dormant or dying, how does it become living and active? The Word of God, law and gospel confession and absolution and saying it that way that that's this is important then you don't trust the works for your salvation you trust christ for your salvation and the works flow out of that and that's that's the important distinction that paul is saying and that we as lutherans emphasize uh it's all these things together and you can't as james has said at the beginning of this section today you can't separate these things they come together as one unit so, Vicar, is Abraham in this section here in James chapter 2, is Abraham a good example for us to point people to today as we are encouraging people to be Christians and to live the Christian faith? I would say so. I mean, the Lord, the Lord tasked Abraham with sacrificing his one and only son, Isaac, and Abraham faithfully followed through with that to the point where God actually stopped him from actually killing Isaac. But he was there. I mean, he, he was completing that good work, and God counted, God counted Abraham's faith, or his righteousness as faith, his faith as righteousness. And uh, we have that clearly stated in uh, the great faith chapter, Hebrews 11. Where, uh, where all of this is commended by God. And so if we want to focus on how Abraham came to faith, not by works, but by purely by grace and the righteousness of God, or if we want to focus on the good works of Abraham that flow from the faith that God gave him, either way, Abraham is a marvelous example. We've got uh, one more left in James chapter 2. Uh, Rahab, Rahab, however you want to pronounce it, don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. 
Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Noah Kirstein. We are privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for tuning in. We've been uh, working our way through uh, James, a marvelous, marvelous little epistle that sometimes we just don't spend enough time in. We've been working uh, intentionally slowly, especially through chapter one. We have... um, found ourselves now at the very end of chapter two. We're able to work just a little bit more quickly, and I think we'll find that out as we go through uh, the rest of the book of James, that uh, many of the things that James has uh, put out there for us, uh, it's kind of a circular uh, style where he will unpack certain themes that he's already brought up, and he's doing that right here for us in James chapter two. We want to look at the last two verses of James chapter 2. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we got one verse. We had three verses on the faith of Abraham. And now we've got one verse on Rahab and then kind of a summary statement at the end in verse 26. So, Pastor, uh, verse 25, uh, can you tell us, you know, briefly the, uh, the historical narrative of Rahab or Rahab, the prostitute from the Old Testament? Ooh, briefly, huh? Briefly. You got yeah. about two or three minutes tops. Well, um, the uh, people of Israel were on their way into the Promised Land. They had crossed the Jordan River um, to uh, begin the conquering under Joshua, which uh, is the uh, Hebrew name Jesus. Um, he's not Jesus, but he's Joshua. and um, he's, he's a Christ figure. They, they are. In fact, uh, there's a lot of Christological things in the story of Rahab as well. Um, spies go into the city of Jericho uh, to determine what's there, and so they can make the proper battle plan. And um, the king of Jericho hears that the spies are there and wants to arrest them and have them killed uh, so that that will hopefully dampen the spirits of the Israelites who are not far away. Um, And uh, Rahab hides them under flax on her roof uh, when the king comes, and she tells a lie uh, to keep them safe under that flax. And then uh, before they go, she says, Listen, I believe in the same God because I've heard all the things that he done. And uh, when, uh, when you come, I want you to keep us safe. And they say, yes, here's the way that will happen. Hang this scarlet thread out of your window and uh, you'll be kept safe. And exactly that thing happens when uh, the people of Israel conquer Jerusalem. And there's a whole bunch more that we could talk about that foreshadows Christ and is fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, but I think that's the main gist of the story. Okay, so there are two times when spies go in to Canaan. Correct. We have the early time when the 12 spies go in and uh, the 10 are unfaithful and the two are faithful. The 10 bring back a bad report. The two, Joshua and Caleb, Caleb, say, yeah, they're big and they're mighty, but we have God on our side and we can conquer them. So they come back. Then there's 40 years of wilderness wandering. And now at the end of this 40 years, now we're in the book of Joshua, 
chapter 2. Moses is dead. Moses is in heaven. Uh, uh, God takes him home from the top of Mount Nebo. And now Joshua and Caleb are still alive. They're still doing well. Joshua takes over. And this is the report and the spies that go in. And this is where Rahab is. So now the children of Israel are getting ready to go in. Rahab proves faithful. She doesn't just say, I have faith. She follows up her faith, her statement of faith, her confession, with good works, with action, with good works and action that were treasonable, uh, could have cost her her life if she had been found out. And so Rahab, while she has this you know little slice of fame in the book of Joshua, um, we don't think much about her until we get to the book of Matthew. When Matthew in, let's see, it's Luke 3, so it's Matthew 1. In Matthew's genealogy, Rahab, seemingly out of nowhere, shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. Pastor, what's up with that? Well, it's really interesting in uh, the genealogy of Jesus, all the uh, sinful people that are mentioned, uh, specifically, you know, when they mention a, a woman uh, in uh, uh, Jesus's genealogy, every one of them has done uh, something that's probably not the, the greatest. So you have Tamar, who slept with her father-in-law. You have Rahab, who's a prostitute. You have these women that show up in that particular way. And um, uh, I think the other one is Ruth, right? Uh, the third woman that shows mm-hmm. up in the genealogy, yes. who is not actually of the people of Israel either. Um, but all these things are taking place so that Christ can come. And uh, all these women have that faith uh, in God's word. I mean, so even we could spend a week talking about Judah and Tamar in that same sense, that uh, Judah didn't believe God's word, that through him the king and the savior would be born. Tamar was more righteous than Judah mm-hmm. um, in, in the fact that she actually believed the promise and that the seed should come from, the, from Judah's line. Uh, Rahab, and, uh, uh, we already talked about Rahab and the, the fruit that followed her faith. Ruth makes the good confession of faith um, on, the, on the road with her mother-in-law, who's bitter toward God and blaming God for everything. And not only does she make that confession of faith, but unlike Orpah, she goes with Ruth, or yeah, with Ruth. Your God will be my God. Uh, with uh, Naomi, and she's going to love her and care for her. <laughs> and uh, God blesses that as well. So, yes, it, it, we have these, these three women. And on one side, yeah, maybe some questionable kind of stuff. But on the other side, they are models of faith in that they believe the word of God and that good works followed their their confession. Good works followed and flowed from that faith. And, and the good works then actually, I think this is really great with Rahab, uh, point forward to Jesus Christ, who is the great worker of all good works. In this sense, um, she hides them under flax on the roof. Well, what's flax for? I know Pastor Poppy eats flax seed every day so that uh, he can be regular or whatever it is that you eat it for. When you get to my be my <laughs> age, you will too. Yeah. But uh, flax in the ancient world is used to make linen cloth. Uh, and that's what you save it for. That's what you set it on your roof for. And so they hide under linen like Christ was buried under 
lavender linen. And then she sends them out into the valley uh, to hide for three days like Christ hid in the tomb for three days. And so her good works actually foreshadow Christ's great works. And our good works then also look back to Christ's great works as well. Um, James doesn't have to tell us all the works of Rahab. Everybody knows the story from Sunday school or whatever. Uh, so it's here. Is it surprising that even the construction of the uh, verses here, the construction of the language, Rahab is almost an exact parallel with Abraham? Is that is that shocking or surprising in any way? Um. No, because I think you see this in everyone, right? <laughs> when you have faith, and the good works follow. All of us are like Abraham. We leave behind the world that we live in to be a Christian. We leave behind even our family members who disagree about the faith so that we may be Christian. Uh, we act in good faith towards our fellow Christian neighbors like Rahab. We, we do these things because that's God working this faith in us, uh, it is uh, the fruits of the faith that flow out from what Christ has done and accomplished. Amen, amen, amen. All right, well, let's get to the last verse here. And if there's anything more you want to say about Rahab? No, I think that's enough. Okay, so let's, uh, let's go to our last verse, kind of, a, kind of a summary or a summation verse. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead. We have this uh, separation. You know, we've talked all the way through here that we dare not separate faith and works when it comes to the life of a Christian. It seems that James, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making that same point here in the last verse. You cannot separate the body and the spirit, otherwise you don't have life. Is that is that the point here? Is there more, Pastor? Well, he's he's concluding the argument that he began in verse eighteen with his uh, uh, dialogue uh, with the 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 so called person in the congregation that says, "You have faith, and I have works." And the answer is, "Nope, that's not true because you cannot separate these two things in the life of a Christian." Uh, faith without works is dead. Works without faith is dead. The two go together hand in hand. You are justified by faith. Uh, you believe in God and it's counted to you as righteousness. And because you have that faith, you act as a Christian acts. Pastor, uh, we talked about how um, Hebrews 11 is a great faith chapter. We talked about how God uses the example of Abraham several places in Hebrews chapter 11. There's also a verse in Hebrews chapter 11 dedicated to Rahab. And so it seems to me that, that there is a pattern that James is following. Maybe it's a pattern of cer certain oral traditions that are in the church where pastors, faithful pastors, are encouraging their members, exhorting them to a living, active faith. Uh, you are you are working right now with a portion of the congregation through the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's a great, great book. Hebrews 11 is a great, great chapter. Is this something that maybe we can learn from? And uh, as we pastor and shepherd the flock today, 
to guard against the uh, antinomianism that Vicar has uh, clearly explained and warned us about? Is is this is this an approach or is this a tactic that uh, maybe we should pick up right here and now? I think we should, um, and it's a hard thing because we're stuck in this weird time and place where we have church bodies and and famous preachers who are around us who are preaching you're saved by your works uh we also have famous preachers and church bodies who say works don't matter at all uh and so kind of sounds like biblical times it does and so we're in this weird spot we're one of the few groups that are saying they have to go together and i think we need to do a better job at making that part clear not that you're saved by your works, you're saved by Jesus, but now being saved by Jesus, you do good works. And um, most denominations and many, many pastors do not teach both sides of that coin. And because we're in this weird middle spot, sometimes we are attacking uh, the one error and sometimes we're attacking the two errors. And I think what James and the author of the Hebrews and St. Paul do really well is rather than just attacking those two sides, they do attack them. They also proclaim the truth, which is right in the middle where we need to be. And that's something we can always probably do a little better. And we we also have a great example in uh, our Lutheran reformers, uh, Luther and those that followed Luther. Uh, it's important for us to know who the battle was against, who they were fighting, what the particular false doctrine was, and then use that part of God's word to combat the do- false doctrine, the false teaching, with without giving up any other part of God's word as well. We need to return to the Lord, our God. We need to return to his word. We need to repent for the times we have not taken all of God's word seriously and for our shallow faith as well. And a fruit of our repentance will be to double down in teaching God's word and its truth and purity, all of it, all of it. May God help us in that respect. When we come back next episode, James chapter 3. God's blessings in Christ. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.